All right, if you would be turning your Bibles to Psalm 95, uh, we'll be there this morning. And as you're turning, uh, let me give you the key truth that I would love for us to walk away with as part of this series on worship. Lord's Day Sabbath worship offers us the opportunity to gratefully sing to the Lord for the great things that he does for us. Now, I could have gone through, has done, is doing, and will do. Uh, but, but really, we sing because of the present goodness of God that is unchanging. And so, uh, let me say that again. Lord's Day Sabbath worship offers us the opportunity to gratefully sing to the Lord for the great things that He does for us. If you would give your attention to the reading of God's Word, this is Psalm 95. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as at Mirabah, as on the day at Massa, in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the, and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years, I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, <clears throat> let me ask you a question as we start this. What, what sparks gratitude in you? Gratitude is one of those things that's uh, kind of been all the rage these days, right, in, in many ways. Uh, keep a, a gratitude journal, mindfulness, right? Um, and it's, it's, it works, right? It actually helps in many respects to help us to orient and to be more appreciative of things, right? They, this, this advice is not given because it's new, but because it is ancient and true, because the Lord our God has called for us to do this from the very beginning, Right? And so when we uh, show gratitude to the Lord our God, it is even greater than the kinds of things that we can express gratitude for because it requires faith. It requires us to trust, in fact, that he is good and has, uh, has loved and supported us. But, but uh, I go back to the question again, what is it that sparks gratitude in you? Is it that someone remembers you? notices you in some way, shape, or form, uh, is someone that gives you a word fitly spoken in due season, is the one who calls and doesn't require you always to be the one who calls? Is it that someone remembers your birthday? First Lady Susan will be 50 tomorrow. You should acknowledge that for her, as I have done. I bought her an edger. She was thrilled. <laughs> True story. Very true story. It's a still edger. I didn't buy her one of those cheap ones. Yeah, she got the real deal. So she, they're probably going to hire her out for landscaping once the <laughs> neighbors see her out there. Is it, is it that, that just someone acknowledges you with a gift of some kind? What is it that, that grants you gratitude, and is it, always, uh, is it always brief? Because the nature of those things is brief. Is it ever really 
enough to maintain our gratitude over a long period of time. But look at what the Lord has done. He's been with his people. He has loved his people. And what's important about this psalm, you could read this psalm and miss the context from which it comes and miss how powerful this psalm is. Now, the psalm itself gives us some indication of, of who it is speaking to. It's speaking to the people of God in exile, right? He says, uh, at the end of the psalm, he says, Now, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart, as they did at Mirabah. If you remember the, the waters of Mirabah uh, and at Massa, this is where the, the people of God really doubted God's goodness and provision. They essentially said, did you just bring us into the wilderness to die? We had it better as slaves in Egypt, which is a pretty ungrateful thing to say, given all that the Lord had done. And notice he was talking about that generation that wandered for 40 years in the wilderness. And if you don't know the story, only two out of who knows how many actually entered the promised land. God kept his promise. The majority of that generation, with the exception of Joshua and Caleb, died in the wilderness. And so this is a psalm to a people who are uprooted, who have been disoriented. Now, the other way that we uh, know this is because the book of the Psalms that it occurs in. Now, I don't have a lot of time to go into this. This is a future sermon series. But if you didn't know, the Psalms breaks up into five distinct books. And each book has a different focus that helps you to understand the Psalms that are collected within that book and then the progression of the Psalms themselves. Psalm 95 occurs in book four. Book four is after the kings have all, all the earthly kings that they have known have fallen. Solomon has left the, the kingdom writ in two. Uh, things are not good. So all of the promises of an earthly king lay in ruins as far as the people of God are concerned, and they, are, they are, have gone into exile. Now, Psalm 90 opens this particular book, and Psalm 90 is the only psalm that's ascribed to Moses. And it's a psalm in which Moses is venting his spleen at the disorientation of life in the wilderness. But he orients himself around the goodness of God, which we see happening here in this psalm. And he also makes sure to reorient himself after he has vented his spleen about the circumstances, the disorientation. Uh, and he, he asks, Lord, establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. If you read all the psalms that follow Psalm 90, Every single one of them are praise psalms. So what is it that is being established? How is it that the Lord chooses to establish the work of our hands? He does so in and through worship. If you notice these psalms, this psalm in particular, if you looked at other ones, they have a very liturgical flow to them. And that just means they have a pattern that seems to be uh, orienting and or orchestrating our hearts and our minds to something. Right? And so, if you notice, like many psalms, it begins with God as creator. Let's look back at the text. He says, O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. Now, why is he that? Well, because in his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are also his. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands form the dry land. See, if, if God didn't do anything else, but just if he was just our creator, he would be worthy of praise. 
He would be worthy of whatever it is that we would have to offer in terms of joy. The fact that we have been made, the fact that he is in control of all things, the fact that he is the king who is over it all, despite the fact that they have no earthly king that they could look to at this time, right? Uh, we would argue we're, we're not in a dissimilar place, right? It has been a complex And what is on the horizon? The question I think most of us continue to ask is, has every decent human being who could run for office left the planet? Was there some political rapture that we didn't know about that also included apparently servers for restaurants and coffee shops and bars? Right? Like, where have all these people gone? And so this is, and, and we are, as the book of Hebrews, in fact, Hebrews chapters 3 and 4 uses Psalm 95 to update, to, to again, describe us as a people in the wilderness. This is not our home. We're not citizens, ultimately, permanently, of this world. We are citizens of a, of a kingdom to come, which is why at the end of Hebrews it says, that, now go out to Christ who is outside the camp. We have been disoriented. We, just like the, 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 the psalmist and, and the people that are trying to be reached with this psalm, we are, in essence, uh, wandering adrift except for Christ our King who orients and establishes and founds us. Everything else is just wandering and listlessness. And so we can declare the goodness of God because he is the creator. And not only is he creator, but there's something in here. He's also the rock of our salvation. He not only creates, he redeems what he creates. And that is good news to us. And notice how the psalm moves uh, and begins to introduce us as created into the situation. So because of God as creator, we should alone come in with great gratitude. The, the, the posture of worship ought to be one of gratitude and joy. Can I confess something to you? That ain't how I came in this morning. And this ain't a preacher's story. This is true. Ask Bonnie. She ran into it. My car wouldn't start this morning. In fact, something happened that it tripped the anti-theft mechanism. I was afraid I wasn't going to be able to get out of the car uh, because it was trying to lock me in. But I was smart enough when I saw it happening, I popped the door open quickly. And I don't know if my car is making noise at home. But anyway, I had a meeting to get to, of course. Already running a little bit late, of course. Susan was so gracious and so kind to, to, to bring me. Get here, and it just and, and just from there, you know, I, I, my teeth were already set on edge. Josh can tell you, I, I was irritated, and he was worried that I, I had a physical problem that irritated me further because he wasn't picking up, he wasn't reading my mind in the dark, and understanding my needs. Uh, Josh and I have that kind of relationship. It's weird. That's uh, <laughs> no, not true. It's not true. But but I, so here I, I'm supposed to preach this, and I've got static. Uh, the way I, I, I refer to it, I've got static on the frequency that I wanted to jump out of my skin. I didn't want to be here. However, that's the beauty of this psalm. That doesn't dictate whether or not I come in here to praise. See, the beauty of the Lord's Day Sabbath is that it is a ceasefire. It is the day where we declare the rock of our salvation, the creator of the universe who gathers with us. It's where we get to, and not just pretend, I'm not up here. I'm not faking it so I can make it. No, I believe that someday my car will start again. <laughs> Hopefully soon. Um, or I'll get another. I don't know. Uh, but that's not the end of the world, right? 
The good news about this is that these moments are fleeting. They do pass. This suffering that I, maybe the static that's on my frequency, it won't last. And I get to celebrate the goodness of God because, because he will deliver me from that. He will help me in and through that. And he has been good regardless of how my day has gone. And so the, the great beauty is I, I get to come in, you get to come in, and, and you get to celebrate something that is truer than whatever it is that you're struggling with, that is bigger than whatever it is that you're struggling with, that cares more about what you're struggling with than even you do, and is at work uh, to help bring about redemption and reconciliation in some form or fashion, right? So we, we come in and we sing, uh, not, not to pretend, not to hide, but because of who God is and what he has already accomplished and done for us. And so that posture of joy and thanksgiving is because of who God is, right? Not because of the, the songs. And I get it. Listen, preferences are a real thing, right? Uh, and, and they're legitimate, right? So if we were in a different country, they would hate what we do, um, right? Like if we tried to take what we do uh, to, to, say, China or any country in Africa, they would be like, what? What is, this, what is this noise that you're making? It's not a joyful noise. It doesn't make me feel gratitudinous. And maybe you feel kind of the same way. But again, uh, one of the things we ought to, to learn is circumstance doesn't dictate. Preference doesn't dictate. That is one of the great things about worship being a blessed necessity is it delivers, delivers us from that. And it grants us rest for a moment. And look at back to the psalm beginning in verse 6. He says, again, oh, come, let us worship. Now, it's very important. They're in the wilderness. They don't have the tabernacle to go to. They don't have the fixed place anymore. They're having to kind of move around a bit. It goes with them. This is not them in the wilderness, but they're in exile. So it, would, it was dangerous for them to worship, right? It, it was dangerous for them to make a joyful noise if, if any of you know anything about believers in many circumstances in China, they do not sing above a whisper because to do so may cost them their lives. And yet somehow they still do it with great joy. And they do it because they believe the Lord is good and he will deliver them someday. And so, so again, they're being told to come. This is the call to worship. Let us worship and notice the posture here. So not only are we to come with joy and thanksgiving, we are to come humbly. He says, and bow down, let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. That posture, right, in some churches you, you physically do that. And I think there's a great gift in having to physically go through the prospect of kneeling and those kinds of things. I think it's a gift for our bodies to be involved in worship since we are an embodied people. That's one of the, the, the besetting sins of the Reformation is it, it, it disembodied worship in a lot of ways. It had its reasons. It was pushing against something particular. But we're now five, six, seven hundred years from that. That's not the, the local circumstance they were pushing against is not our present circumstance and struggle. We've got others that we've introduced. Don't get me wrong. It's like we said, the Psalms allows us to dance, right? We read that last week. What kind of dancing actually glorifies the Lord? That's where it gets tricky, right? Uh, what kind of shouting glorifies the Lord? Uh, I shared with some of you... Uh, when I was an elder at a church in Macon, there was this guy named Irving. And Irving had some, some issues. And uh, we would say, hey, uh, the bathroom is over on the left-hand side. And Irving would go, yes, amen, yes, Jesus, praise God. <laughs> are, are you, do you have to go to the bathroom, Irving? Like, what is, 
I don't think that's appropriate. Uh, and look, praise God, he, would, he, he, he felt the, the ability to do that. But, you know, I had a conversation with him, and it did help. Uh, Irving became much more appropriate in his expulsions uh, about the goodness of God. And so, um, so we're not trying to be silly here. And I get it. it is, it's a dangerous thing. It, to cut us loose, can you imagine if, if people took seriously that whole dancing thing? And here, I mean, we do have a parquet dance floor after all. Uh, the different expressions, like it could get dangerous. It could cause someone to stumble in any number of ways, whether it's in anger or some other way, right? But here's what's interesting. What is it that the Pharisees got most wrong? They would build fences outside of fences to try to prevent the freedom that the Lord had given from getting out of hand. We don't want to do that with worship. I get it. Many of you are wired a certain way. You don't have to do any of these things with the exception of singing. Singing tends to show up the most and be commanded the most. And in fact, I want to say something here. When you don't sing, it is an act of inhospitality to the people around you. If someone is visiting this church and they happen to sit in the row where nobody's singing, they have traditionally not come back and have even said so. And so it also is an inhospitable thing to the other people around you in some measure. Now, listen, there are going to be times you, you don't want to sing. This is not a new law. You don't, you don't have to do it every single time. But you need to think about why you don't and how it's impacting the people around you. Because in essence, you are essentially saying, with your, whether you mean to or not, the Lord is not good. I'm angry with the Lord. That may be true of you. That's a fine expression, but every Sunday... And maybe you don't like the songs. Like, like we said, we did that whole syncopated page CXVI divine invitation last week, and we could have used a bouncing ball to help us not uh, be full-throated. And, and again, that's not the worst crime in the world. Like being able to, in humility, receive the good uh, from the hand of the Lord and the people that have been called to lead that worship uh, is, is a great gift. And so there's ways in which we just need to check our own hearts. Is this an issue of humility or pride? Is it an issue of your preferences? Is it an issue of you're just not thinking about it? Let's have a conversation about it. It may be that we pick bad songs from time to time, right? But so much of that's preference, so much of it. And I'm not all that musically talented, and I was able to keep up with it, so I suspect many of you could too. And there's some ways in which we might be able to help out by maybe printing... uh, something once in a while that has shape notes, but not every time, uh, but, but certain songs would be helpful. So let's be careful that we're not coming in with a posture of arrogance about worship toward each other, toward the circumstance, and let us instead, uh, whether it's physically, maybe you need to bow down, maybe you need to kneel, uh, or at least within your head and heart, make sure that your posture is one of humility. You get to be here because the maker has called you to come. We're not summoning him. He is summoning us. And he's summoning us with his love. Um, And so may we come in with greater humility. That would be one of my great goals for this worship series is that in order for us to see this as blessed necessity, we've got to be humble. And I get it. It's hard. There's so many aspects of this that are preference-driven and and pushing on various preferences. I remember one time when when we were visiting churches in Macon, um, (laughs) with this one church and the main instrument was handbells. And I know the handbell choir is coming up. This is no disrespect to the handbell circumstance. I'd never been in a church where the lead instrument was handbells. 
played at a rapid pace. And so uh, it was hard. It was really hard to keep up. But you know what? The Lord showed, helped me on that day to realize the beauty of the various ways in which his people can express their love for him. These folks were very serious about what they did. It was beautiful, not my preference, but I was able to worship in spirit and truth and sing along. I, I missed some stuff but, uh, because of the speed, but, but it didn't matter. The Lord really showed me that day that worship really is about humility. It really is about us uh, putting him first and foremost and kind of going from there because what they were doing was not silly. It just was different. And I've been in other circumstances when I was on staff at Strong Tower. The music, you guys couldn't take it. Uh, I barely could take it. And, and it was, but it, it ministered to the people and it was beautiful. And I learned an awful lot by being willing to participate because think about it. What if I, because I didn't, here I am on staff, refused to sing, what would that communicate to you? You don't think that that, what you're not singing doesn't communicate something to someone around you. That's all I'm asking is that you appreciate that and in humility think that through and, and figure out what do you need to do? Do you need to repent? Uh, do you need to sit on a different row so you don't run those people off? I don't know. Uh, move around the room? I don't, I don't know. Um, but, but let us be a people who are growing in humility. And notice what he says. He says, and this is important, he says, all right, so you come in with joy, you come in with gratitude, you come in with a posture of humility because you are the created and he's the creator. He is the king above all kings. And now he gives uh, a, 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 an admonishment to us. He says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Now think about that for a second. Think about all the different things in a given service that can irritate you or set your teeth on edge or in some way, shape, or form, make it not an, an enjoyable experience for you, but who is responsible for whether or not you hear? You are. No. Theologically, yes, the Spirit must give you insight, but if you know the Spirit's at work and you know that God is with us and you know that His Word is being opened and, and read and prayed and preached and hopefully sung, then, then that's not the issue. The Spirit is going to... What, what does the, the Scripture say about the Word and what it will not do? It will not return void. Now, the question is, are you... Are you open to receive the, the good rain from God's word? Are you open and humble and, and willing to receive? Is your posture one of humility, one of gratitude, one, one of not taking this for granted? It's like I said last week, I, I get it. Many of you have heard thousands of sermons, right? And you could say, I have heard all of this before, and, and truthfully, there shouldn't be anything too terribly novel, right? If I'm up here saying something that you've never heard before and there's no connection to, you should probably be a Berean and look into that and make sure it's biblical. But the issue is not that we, we need to hear it again. We need to hear the, the Lord's goodness again because we have found ourselves six days in the wilderness prior. We have been beset by our own sin, the sins of others, the fallenness of this world. We are beset with anxiety and despair and frustration and anger. We need to hear yet again that the Lord loves us and he is good, which is why we refer to it as the Lord's Day Sabbath. How many of you, not show of hands, bristle at just even that? Where is this word coming from? Well, I do it very intentionally. 
Sabbath, because our culture has kind of taken it and made it small s and turned it into uh, part of that whole mindfulness gratitude discussion. I think it's good. I think it's, it's healthy. I think it's wise. But there is a capital S Sabbath that, that spans the whole of creation. It was the first day Adam and Eve spent on the planet was the first Lord's Day Sabbath. It will be the eternal Sabbath rest. In fact, we have one long Sabbath coming. The word Sabbath actually spans eternity. And in between, we have these architectural moments in time, which are Sunday, the Lord's Day Sabbath. Why do I call it the Lord's Day Sabbath? Well, that's to clarify whose it is and who should dictate what we do on that day. Feasts and, and fun and enjoy, right? Think about what the Pharisees did to the Sabbath. What they do to it? They took all the fun out of it, Right? you got to count your steps. Many of you are already doing that. That's wonderful. But this is, this is not that. This is not a positive counting of steps. Right? You, you couldn't pick up a stick. You couldn't heal. You couldn't get an ox out of, a, a, well, you could get your ox out of a ditch. But other people better not. You couldn't, there's all kinds of things you couldn't do. And notice how Jesus responded to those kinds of things. He says, I am Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is for man. You know, man wasn't created for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was created to benefit God's people. And that's why we use the Sabbath. Have this posture to, to not harden our hearts, right? And at Mirabah, as I said earlier, if you remember, they hardened their heart with ingratitude. They hated the food, they didn't have any water, they were upset with the circumstance. And nowhere did they look to themselves in repentance. Nowhere did they assume a posture of humility. And so we are being challenged. Make sure it is on you to listen for God's voice. It is on you to actively participate in worship in such a way that you can receive. I can't do that for you. The most dangerous thing you could do is make worship about entertainment. You want to become a slave? Let that be why you do what you do in worship. You want to be, have somebody who can woo you with words, who, who can manipulate you in mind and heart? Will be unto you because that man, I don't care who he is, he can't be good once he has that kind of power. Right? We don't want it to be about, did you entertain us? but more that we came in knowing the Lord gathered with us, knowing that we, we, in a posture of humility, have received something. The better question to ask oneself after any given worship service is, Lord, were you pleased with what I did in your name today? Not, was I pleased with the circumstance? Was I pleased with the song selection? Was I pleased with the length? Was I pleased with any of these things? That is not the purpose for which we gather. That's true for lots of other things, but that ain't true for here. And so we are to listen and, and, and recognize there is something at stake. The Lord makes it clear this is, this is not neutral worship. It, it, it has an impact on eternity. As he says here, he says he swore that they would not enter his rest because of their arrogance, because of their hard-heartedness, that's not cruel. They, they chose to do those things, and the Lord, he chased them, was with them for 40 years. They grew harder 
not the Lord. It was what he always said it would be, and the same is true for us. We, we can't say the Lord is cruel because he, he sets the limits, especially when he has been so gracious for so long, and week in and week out, we get to gather together as blessed necessity. And so, so this is a call. Notice what he's calling them to, calling us to rest. How many of you need rest? You need rest from the thoughts that plague you. You need rest from shame and guilt. You, you need rest from your sin, which seems to, to entangle you so easily and crouches at your door. You need rest from laboring and feeling like you're not getting anywhere. You need rest from family conflict. You need rest uh, from any number of things, suffering, uh, whatever it may be. That's the beauty of each week and week out, we get to come and celebrate that there is a great rest that is coming. I can't help but pause here and flip to Matthew 11 and let Jesus speak to us um, and, and see what his heart is for us and, and why we gather. This is Matthew 11, picking it up in verse 25. Hear the word of, of Jesus to us, his people. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. That alone should cause us to come in week in and week out with great humility. If you come in thinking you are going to to grow in knowledge or flex your knowledge, repent, you arrogant soul. Come in with a posture of humility. Be like a child ready to receive from, from your good father who longs to be with you week in and week out. Now, let me pause here because I, I can kind of see it in some, some of your eyes. You're angry with God. He is not answering your prayer as fast as you would like for him to, but this is where you got to trust him. You gotta trust his speed. You gotta trust his work because it will be complete. We don't endure what we endure only based on what we can understand, right? That is arrogant. How many of you could understand, or if I gave you uh, a, 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 a reason, you would say, Good, I'm glad they died. I'm glad they left. I'm glad I'm suffering. Who among you could say that based on just noetic reason? And so the, the Lord instead dwells with us and grants us each for the other and grants us the opportunity to lift one another up in this. He goes on. For such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. All right, so that sounds like Jesus said, all right, if I don't reveal him, you're not going to know him. No way, no other way. If that's where he finished, that would be harsh, would it not? It would sound harsh to our ears. But listen to what he now says. This is beautiful. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Amen and amen. That that is, in fact, true, though it is unfolding over time. 
though it doesn't keep us from suffering, though it doesn't answer every single question, praise God that the very Son of God says, I want to reveal to you the creator and king of the universe so that you can be in relationship with us and we can be in relationship to each other. This is why we sing. This is why we gather together. This should be the governing idea for our posture in worship, for our, our humility, for our joy, for our gratitude. Listen to what Donald Williams says about Psalm 95. He says, our worship is not centered in what we get out of church, whether that's edification or inspiration. Our worship is centered in what we give to God. That's why I say the better question for any of us to ask after any worship service is, Lord, are you pleased with my offering today? Did I sing with gratitude? Did, did, where, where was my heart? Did I glorify you? And some of you may be glorifying him by struggling just to even be here. And that's appreciable. Worship is the turning of our lives over to him, nothing less. A service of worship, therefore, is a service of surrender. This reality, if expressed, will deliver us from much of the self-centered, so-called worship of the modern church. I think he could have just left modern off. The church has been struggling with this forever, which is why they had to have Psalm 95 as part of their worship. So here's my question. What are the reasons we should gratefully sing to the Lord on the Lord's Day Sabbath? There are myriad. And this is why we encourage you week in and week out to discuss with your family as part of your Lord's Day Sabbath worship, how has God been good this week? We do it at the office every Wednesday, and if you were to sit in on those, you would hear sometimes we have to pick one another up, because we come in and we go, I don't have anything to say, and I was trying to figure out how to skip this prayer meeting. And yet, then others step in and say, well, here's where I see, and we serve one another in this way, and we don't require one another to, to, to lie or to say something we don't believe, but we do. We pick each other up. This is why we need community, why we need one another in this particular regard. And so I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you strongly. Take some time. Figure out a space. And again, Lord's Day Sabbath is a great place to do it where you discuss specifically how God has been good, not abstractly, but the ways in which you see his promises being kept, his character being displayed throughout the week. And if we would do that, I suspect it would affect our gratitude. I know it has mine. I know it has Susan's as well. And anyone who has joined us in that process, I know it's affected us at the office because it's easy. It's easy to lose the narrative, right? Um, just this week, I, we, <laughs> a couple of us were struggling. Um, and, uh, you know, sometimes you just get, you get hit all at once. Uh, my, my popularity numbers are somewhere just south of Biden's right about now in some respects. And so, and, and, and it all kind of came in at one time, right? And so, and so it's, it's, it's a wearisome thing sometimes to try to declare the goodness of God when you're hurting. And yet, I've seen it be a critical practice in my own life again and again. I want to encourage you in yours. So, Psalm 95 teaches us that the Lord's Day Sabbath worship offers us, this is important, this word, the opportunity. We don't have to. In some measure, you might argue, no, you have to. No, better than have to, we get to because of who God is 
and because of who Christ is to us, who has welcomed us, who are heavy laden and burdened and weary. We have the opportunity to gratefully sing to the Lord for the great things that he does for us.